is the best game you can name. And the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. Oh, the good old hockey game is the best game you can name. And the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. Hello, Nailers fans, and welcome to the first show of season number two of the Toolbox. I'm your host, Nailers play-by-play broadcaster DJ Abicella. This was an idea that we came up with last summer as a way to keep you, the fans, up to date with all the latest news and information and bring you some fun interviews along the way to help pass the time during the summer months until we drop the puck at West Bank Arena coming up in October. So on today's first show of the second season, we're going to tackle some of the news that's happened around the league in the first month or so, who's still playing in the three championship series in the NHL, AHL, and ECHL, and we're going to talk to somebody who's already won a championship in 2019, that is former Nailers forward Adam Kraus. So first up is news, and while player movement has been very quiet in the first month plus, and quite frankly, you expect that, especially considering that all three of the North American Pro Leagues, the NHL, the AHL, and the ECHL, are still wrapping up their playoffs. So there's not going to be a whole lot of movement, and from an ECHL standpoint, you can't sign players until June 16th anyway, so that takes that completely out of the equation. However, you are going to see an announcement coming up next week on Monday, June 3rd, the ECHL is going to announce its protected lists for the 2019 summer. And while it may seem like it's a major announcement, I say this every year, it's actually more or less a formality for the teams. What they do is if players sign, this is the easiest way to explain it, a contract, an ECHL contract for the 2018-19 season and they were not released or traded, then the teams can put them on their protected list. So the easiest thing to do is whoever was on an ECHL contract for you on the previous season, just put them on the list. Also can be included on that list are players who were tendered a qualifying offer during the summer of 2018. The Nailers had four of those players, one of whom signed a contract, which was Dan Fick. So you would have to think that obviously he's going to be one of those names on the list. You're going to probably see most of the players that played for Wheeling during 2018-19, at least those under ECHL contract. You can't protect those like Renard's Krastenbergs because he was an AHL contract. You can't protect players like Dane Burks because he was on a National Hockey League contract from Pittsburgh. So from there, those are the players that Wheeling has protected and it has sole negotiating rights to when the free agent market opens or when the signing season opens on June 16th. Now, they will have to operate quick because come the end of June, they are only able to qualify up to eight players. So if a player is not signed by the end of the month, then they can either get a qualifying offer or they then become a free agent. So that's essentially the protected list gets the ball rolling and gets you starting to work within your own and allows you those first talking abilities with players before other teams jump in and try and snatch some of the good players that are still out and available. 
In the meantime, Pittsburgh and Wilkes-Barre Scranton, they have begun to sign some players for the upcoming season to NHL and AHL deals. We're not going to tackle that on the toolbox just yet because it's still early in the game. And obviously, July 1st is a big day in the NHL when a lot of free agent signings happen. I usually like to look at that more towards August and into September when you really get a feel of what the depth chart's going to look like and who may end up trickling down here to the Nailers from the affiliates. Other important dates to have in the back of your mind, all future considerations trades must be completed by June 13th. And as I mentioned, the first day you can sign players is June 16th. There's also a season-ending roster June 15th. That's due, but again, that is more or less a formality. Looking at news regarding other teams in the ECHL who are currently in their off-seasons, unfortunately the biggest piece of news came from the Manchester Monarchs who announced that they will not be back in the ECHL for the 2019-2020 season and that's news that you never like to hear. You always want to see teams thriving and succeeding and sticking around for as long as they can but unfortunately Manchester just unable to make it work and it ended up being the best case scenario for them to drop out of the league at this point in time. It was starting to look like we were going to have a schedule to announce in the very near future. That still may be the case but of course the ECHL does have to go back to the drawing board a little bit and make sure that they can fulfill the 36 home dates for the teams that would have had Manchester coming in and the 36 road dates for the teams who would have been going to Manchester and make it all make sense again. So I'm sure that they have been working hard over the last week or so to make that happen. Manchester first began its hockey in the American Hockey League before ultimately moving to the ECHL in 2015. On the ice, the Monarchs had really good success First off, they won the Calder Cup in their final year in the AHL 2014-15 and then went on to reach the playoffs all four seasons in the ECHL. The Nailers do end up with the all-time head-to-head advantage, having won six of the ten head-to-head matchups against the only team that has ever played ECHL hockey in the Granite State, the state of New Hampshire. There was also an affiliation switch already for the summer, and this one definitely caught me off guard as the Florida Everblades, who had previously been affiliated with the Carolina Hurricanes since Florida's inception into the ECHL, Florida and Carolina part ways. The Everblades now welcome into the family the Nashville Predators. Nashville did not have an ECHL affiliate during the 2018-19 season. The last time they were with an ECHL, club was with the Norfolk Admirals in the first couple of weeks of the 2017-18 season before those two teams went in their separate directions in late November of that season. So Nashville and Florida is the first affiliation swap in the summer of 2019. We'll see how many more of those are coming up here in the next few months. There have also been four coaching changes already made in the ECHL. Three teams have already named their replacements. 
One team has still yet to announce. That one team is the Indy Fuel. Two of the four coaching changes actually happening within the Central Division. Teams that we've seen a lot in the past year and will definitely see more of coming up in 2019-2020. The other three teams who have already announced who they will have as new bench boss. The Fort Wayne Comets, as Gary Graham was dismissed as their head coach. They actually turned to their assistant coach in Ben Boudreaux. That is Bruce Boudreaux's son. So some very strong coaching genes in the bloodlines there. And the Comets will look to Boudreaux, a team that has made the playoffs all but one of its seasons in the ECHL. That one was their first one in 2012-13. Another team going the assistant coaching route is the South Carolina Stingrays. Spiros Anastas was one year and done for the Stingrays, even though they made it to the postseason. They lost in the first round to the Orlando Solar Bears. Should also mention, by the way, that Fort Wayne was a first-round playoff dismissal by the Toledo Walleye in Indy missed. But South Carolina hires their assistant coach in Steve Bergen to take over as the bench boss in North Charleston. And then going off the board a little bit, the Wichita Thunder, they bring in Bruce Ramsey. Ramsey had previously served as an assistant coach with the American Hockey League's Grand Rapids Griffins. He won a Calder Cup there. Wichita had made the playoffs in 2017-18, losing out to eventual champion Colorado, but then missed the playoffs last year under head coach Malcolm Cameron. So Ramsey will be tasked with getting the Thunder back to postseason play. So that's a look at the news around the ECHL. Of course, playoffs are going on as we speak. And before we tackle the three series still going, the championship rounds, we want to congratulate some of our former Nailers who have already gotten to hoist some hardware this year. First off, we're going to be talking to him in just a few minutes. Our special guest today is an assistant coach for the University of Minnesota Duluth Bulldogs, the national champion Minnesota Duluth Bulldogs. That is Adam Krause, who started his Naylor career at the very end of the 2014-15 season and then played 15-16 and 16-17 here in Wheeling. And then also we want to congratulate former Naylor goaltender Danny Sabarin. Sabarin was a goaltender for Wheeling in 2004. 405 and also 2005-2006. He is now the goaltending coach for the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League's Rouen Naranda Huskies. They not only won the QMJHL Championship, the President's Cup, but they were also the Memorial Cup champions, the champions for all of Canadian Major Junior Hockey. So congratulations to both Adam and Danny for their championship success. We have some players who still are in the running to be able to add their names to that list this season. First off, in the ECHL, we have one player still competing for that Kelly Cup, and he is the captain of his home province's team, the Newfoundland Growlers. Newfoundland with a 2-1 series lead over the Toledo Walleye. The player, of course, is James Melindy, who was part of our run to the Eastern Conference Championship in 2016. Newfoundland won back-to-back overtime games on home ice to open up the series before Toledo rebounded with a 4-1 win in Game 3, getting themselves on the board. So a 2-1 series lead for Newfoundland. Games 4 and 5 will be in Toledo. Games 6 and 7, if necessary, shift back up to the Rock in St. John's Newfoundland. The Growlers, the 
first team since in the early 90s, the Greensboro Monarchs, to reach the ECHL's championship round in their first season as a team. And how funny would that be? You see Colorado win back-to-back and then leave the league, and then one of the new teams that comes in grabs that championship in year number one. Personally, I would enjoy seeing Newfoundland win for one big reason, and that's the way that their team is built. I really like that developmental model. I worked in baseball for nine years. I saw it be very successful. And for Newfoundland, 23 players on their playoff roster, 15 of them are contracted to either the Toronto Maple Leafs in the NHL or the Toronto Marlies in the American Hockey League. Regardless of which way this series goes, we're going to talk to a member of the winning team. And if it's the Growlers, you can certainly bet that that's going to be part of the conversation. In the American Hockey League, the Calder Cup Final has not started yet, but we do know who the teams are. You have the Charlotte Checkers, who are the AHL affiliate of the Carolina Hurricanes. What a year for Carolina. They were the only team who had all three members of their organization advance to the second round of the playoffs this year. Of course, the Hurricanes got to the conference final in the NHL, and the Everblades got to the conference final in the ECHL. So it is Carolina's affiliate Charlotte playing for a Calder Cup, and then it is the Vegas Golden Knights American Hockey League affiliate, the Chicago Wolves, who are on the other side of things. Scott Darling, a former Naylor from 2012-13 and also a former Stanley Cup champion, is on the Charlotte roster. He is yet to appear in a game in the Calder Cup playoffs. And then on the Chicago side of things is Gage Quinney, who played with the Naylors in 2016-17. So we will indeed have at least one Naylor coming away with a championship in the pros this year, whether it is Darling or Quinney in the American Hockey League and perhaps Melindy in the ECHL. No former Naylor's left in the National Hockey League. That series is tied at one for the Stanley Cup as the Boston Bruins and St. Louis Blues do battle. The team that has scored first has not won either of the first two games in that series and they now get ready to shift to St. Louis for games three and four. It's now time to bring in our special guest for this week's show, and this guy has had himself an incredible year both on and off the ice. He was a wheeling nailer, first came to us in the spring of 2015, right after he finished his senior year with Minnesota Duluth, and that's where he is now as the assistant coach of their hockey team. It's Adam Krause, an NCAA national champion, but also a dad this year. Congratulations on an incredible year, Adam. Is it safe to say that life's pretty good right now yeah yeah life is good it's been pretty hectic but all, all positive things obviously it's been kind of a whirlwind the last few months uh been been busy uh trying to figure out the dad thing and you know obviously having success uh at the end of the year was uh was pretty cool so it's uh it's cool to be back i want to dj i miss seeing you in wheeling and uh, i miss the city and the fans and it was a, it was a great time in my life Last time we saw you here was 2016-17. You played one more season pro after that with Rochester, and that's in the Buffalo organization. Then you decided to hang up the skates as a player. Now, it's never easy to come to that conclusion, but how did you arrive at that decision last summer? Well, yeah, it kind of sprung up on me, you know, to be honest. The story kind of surprises some people, but yeah, I was playing in Rochester. Um, it was about two weeks left in the season. Um, and UMB had just won, or just was going to the Frozen Four, and they had just won. 
um, their first title um, back in 18, and uh, Coach Allen had given me a call and said, hey, um, assistant coach Brett Larson, it looks like he's going to get the St. Cloud State men's hockey job, and he said, uh, you know, would you be interested in coming in and coaching with me? And, uh, you know, I kind of laughed. I'm like, I have no coaching experience. Uh, usually you have to ride the bus in junior hockey, you know, to get a job uh, at the Division One level at least, um, you know, right out of the gates. And, you know, me and Coach Allen, I, I played with him obviously for four years. I was a captain for him for two years. And, you know, we had a great relationship the whole the whole way around. And it, it kind of – dominoes kind of fell with, with Brett Larson getting that job at St. Cloud. And, you know, to be honest, I, I was already working on a, a – hopefully making my way back to Rochester that following year and when he called. So it definitely threw a wrench into some things, and I had some decisions to make quickly. And, um, but it was, it was a very cool opportunity. So the opportunity kind of came as a surprise in terms of the timing, but when you kind of had that crystal ball as far as you were playing, did you know that coaching was something that you maybe wanted to do down the road, or was that something that kind of came more recently? Yeah, it was a little bit more recently. I think, uh, obviously, some a lot of guys and you know, in the minor league hockey can relate to, you know, always in the back of your mind what's next when this is all done. You know, you can't – there's only a few guys that can, you know, play for 20 years and never have to work again, you know, at the highest level. So, you know, it's always into something in the back of your mind, and it, it was something that I, you know, was willing to look into. Obviously, like I said, getting that opportunity to start um, at the Division One level at a, at a good program like Duluth, it was something that I couldn't – I couldn't turn down, and, and it was something that uh, – it was a tough decision, even though it was a great opportunity. It was something that was hard. You know, hockey is the only thing you've known for your whole life. And, you know, and, and making that uh, decision to stop playing was, was really tough, especially when I, I felt like I had a good season and I had finally, you know, been in the American League the full season and then getting some some different opportunities. And it was it was definitely a tough decision. It made some sleepless nights. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think I made the right decision, not only for me, but for my family. And, and getting to go back home and, and work with Coach Sandlin, that he's been obviously a ton of success. And to learn from him right off the gates has been, been great. You had a chance to play for him. Now you're working for him. Does that make your job easier when you're trying to relay information to the players because you know exactly what it is like to be in their shoes and you know what the expectations are both of the program and of the school? Yeah, I, I think so. I think that's one of the things that we had talked about when, when I had got the job. We, we were pretty close um, there when I played for him and, and even after when I was going through the, the pro hockey thing, we had kept in touch. And, uh, yeah, I just... He has very high expectations for his program. He takes a lot of pride in what he does there and in the culture that he builds and the kids that he brings in. Um, he, he wants high-character kids, and he wants to do things the right way and represent the diversity in the right way and, and obviously win hockey games, and that's something he's been very good at here recently. And um, Yeah, I, I think we, we know each other very well. I know what he expects. Uh, I know what kind of players and, and people that he wants like all recruiting. Um, so I think in that regard, it's been a pretty easy transition um, and as far as relating to the players, that's been another thing that he wanted me to bring um, somebody to be, you know, close to playing and, and seeing what it takes to, to make to the next level. And, you know, Wheeling was a big part of that, seeing guys get called up and down. And even when I was in Wilkes-Barre, guys, you know, the margin of error and the margin of, you know, skill level and talent that makes it to the next level is pretty, pretty slim. So if I can pass any of that, you know, small details matter to these college guys, it's, uh, I think it can be beneficial to them in the future. 
let's talk about this run that you had to the national championship. And you mentioned the expectations of the program, and I don't think you can have any higher expectations than coming off of a national championship the year before. And it's so hard to repeat in any sort of realm in the sports industry. But did you have a feeling from the start that this team had a good chance to repeat, or was that something that kind of grew as the year went on? Yeah, I think it, it's something that you, you learn throughout the year. I think we, we had a lot of pieces back um, as far as our goaltender and our defensive core. That's that's pretty outstanding. We got all of our D back um, and a forward group that has some pretty special guys. And at the end of the day, I, I think Coach Salen, the one thing he is very good at is a feel for his team. And, and, and he, you know, early in the year, we had maybe lost some games, but he was liking how we were playing. You know, maybe we won some games and he didn't like how we played there. So early in the year, he had a really good feel of where our team was at what it was going to take for our team to have success um, and, and stay on them. And I think he, he treats every game, whether it's an exhibition game, the first of the season, or the national championship game, his demeanor is the same. His expectation um, for compete level is the same, and expectations are what he wants to do things are the same. So, you know, when you get to Buffalo in the Frozen Four, I think with that experience that he's had, um, it, it speaks wonder. So we, we we're not changing our game plan. We're not changing our routines too much um, when you have that experience of being there. Um, I think it helps in a great deal as far as your preparation and not getting too high or low, um, riding the momentum swings. You know, our first game we had two goals just while versus Providence, and they had kind of taken over. So little things like that, having a guy with experience to keep the calm demeanor on the bench is, is very important. I found it interesting watching you guys from an outsider's perspective because St. Cloud State was pretty much the number one team in the nation all year long, and they're right in your conference. Did that give you kind of uh, an underdog feeling at all, and did you do anything to change your approach with that? Yeah, I I think so. Obviously, being so uh, close to them in our conference, and and obviously the guy who I replaced, who actually recruited me to lose, Brett Larson, you know, is now the head coach of St. Cloud. Uh, just had won the title with Coach Sandlin and the rest of the staff last year. So it was a very closely related uh, situation, I guess, just two hours down the road. And, and St. Cloud had obviously, you know, been that number one team and, and very deservingly so. You know, they were, you know, they were, I think, by far the best team that we had seen all year. Um, for a group they had, very dynamic in, in the back end and the goalie. I just, they, they didn't have many holes. Um, and at the, at the same time, we had seen them. And every time we had played them, you know, it, it was, they were great games. I think they got the better of us there in the regular season, but then we had played him in our, our conference tournament uh, championship down at the XL Energy Center, and uh, it was just a, it was a great hockey game. We ended up coming out on top in overtime, and I think the difference between um, our team and, and their team, I think having the guys that have been there before, guys who have won championships, guys who've played in big stages, um, they hadn't quite had those guys, I don't think, was, was something that I think they were looking for, and I was talking to Coach uh, Larson at the end of the year, and, and they, they had no... At, you know, at adversity throughout the year. You know, it was kind of almost went too perfect, and they were kind of waiting for that lull, and it never came. And obviously, it came kind of at the end with that big upset uh, in the first round of the regional. But yeah, I think deservingly still the number one team in, in the country all year. But college hockey's funny like that. You get one game shot in a year, you never know what can happen. It's amazing hearing you say the adversity because I think we've seen it at both the NHL and ECHL levels this spring. Cincinnati, no adversity all year. Gets knocked off in the second round. Tampa Bay, no adversity all year long. And they get swept in the first round. But that win against them in the NCHC championship game, is that something that gave you guys the push that you needed to get even more power going into the national tournament? Yeah, I, I think so, and I think you're right. We we that's a funny comparison. We were comparing them to kind of Tampa Bay all year. We were just kind of waiting for them to to slip.
slow down and just seemed not to ever do it. And and in that championship game, actually, when we had won, it gave us some confidence saying, you know, we, we can beat this team. And I, I think we knew that all year, but to, to validate it on a big stage like that, uh, you know, was something that was, was great. And, you know, we worked close with their staff, and we actually talked to them after that game, and they're like, man, this, this could be exactly what we needed, you know, to lose to you guys, get some get some, uh, you know, sour taste in our mouth going into the regional tournament, and we thought that might have catapulted him. <laughs> so we were sitting in the locker room, I said, maybe we might have woke the beast there, uh, and, you know, and, and we're surprised that uh, it didn't catapult him to that next level. But, yeah, I think it says something. That's that's a big thing with Coach Allen, too. He, he, he has to understand, uh, and he has the understanding that the highs and lows are important throughout the season, and, and as long as you're learning from the lows and not getting too high during the highs, it's uh, it's an important lesson to be learned throughout throughout the season, especially in college. I think where you can, you know, the younger players they have a little bit more of emotion than, than the pro guys usually. So um, it, it was all all came together at the end. What was it like to experience the Frozen Four, going through and seeing all the fans and the media attention, then ultimately getting a chance to win the grand prize? Yeah, I mean, it, it was great. I, I was with some guys and our staff. You know, they've been they've been spoiled the last, you know, eight, seven, eight years winning three, you know, titles. So they had been there before. And obviously, you know, it was our third um, national championship game in a row. Um, UMB had lost to Denver in the 17 game. So, um, you know, I was with people that had been there before. Um, and so they, they weren't really phased by all the attention and all the media and all the the things that go with it, but I was just trying to take it in. I, I was unable to get there as a player uh, close a few times, but uh, you know, just to experience it uh, was was pretty cool, and and to experience it with those with those guys in the school I played for was awesome. And especially in Buffalo, you know, I I played just uh, you know an hour or so down the road. I got to see some of the guys I played with the, the season before they came down and, and saw saw a game, and it, it was pretty cool to take that in and, and see you know Jason Botterill and Randy Sexton, the guys that kind of helped me navigate through pro hockey. It was a pretty cool experience. It kind of came full circle that weekend. You only had three seniors on your team this year. Three, Pete, next year? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, Coach Allen would kill me if I ever said three, Pete, uh, on, a, on a podcast. But, you know, it's, it's something that I think, you know, St. Cloud taught us, you know, not not keep going back to them, but they taught us a lesson where, you know, it doesn't it, it all matters how you're playing at the end of the year and, and making sure you have the right team at the end of the year to, to win. And I think, obviously, if you look at our team, we have the pieces coming back, especially with our goaltender, you know, deciding to come back and a couple of our high-end defensemen uh, deciding to delay pro one more year where they have some offers and some forwards. And, and it's, uh, it's a pretty special group that we have coming back, guys who, you know, the, the junior class hasn't seen a season end without a national championship game. Um, it's it's pretty pretty remarkable and something that a lot of people haven't experienced. So definitely have the the right tools back um, as far as how it's going to go. Uh, we can't promise anything. Just as long as we're we're playing the right way, we're going to give ourselves a chance at the end of the year. I think. And Coach Allen's uh, no better guy to keep everyone honest and keep everyone on their toes and and not let complacency get in the locker room. He's uh, he's pretty good at that, and and that's something that he, he he's very very adamant about is not getting you know complacent with your details and, and it doesn't matter what you did last year it's all about what's ahead of you let's bring it full circle we talked a little bit about wheeling when we started this you were here for a little more than two seasons you came in at the end of your college career and then two full years you were part of the team you, unfortunately we didn't get a chance to have you in the playoffs for the run to the final but you were on the team during the regular season that year what are some of your favorite memories and what did you enjoy most about playing here whether it was the fans your teammates or something else that really stuck with you 
I mean, yeah, there, there's there's a lot that uh, that that comes to mind. I, I think, especially with our group, and you obviously know a lot of those guys. The, the year I came after school, um, it's always tough to step in, kind of at the end of the year, um, with a group. And I, I can't thank that that group enough for you know accepting me, and even that next year when they made that run to the Kelly Club, that 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 group with you know Shane Baker and Derek Army and Derek Burton and Torcado and Brace. And, you know, I could go on and on about these guys. Um, what a fun group we had that year and, and you were around us on the Boston and the road you know how much fun we had so I think that that sticks out in my mind um, obviously the fans the passion that they've had I feel like um, even outside of pro hockey wheeling wheeling nailers is kind of a rite of passage in, in the journey of, of minor league hockey a pretty good reputation as far as um, some big name guys that have, have come through there on um, the passion of the fans and the development that they have so Super cool to be able to play for him. Uh, I still have my jersey. Looking to hang up, hang it up in my house somewhere to remind me, you know, of, of the memories. And it definitely holds a special place in my heart. Um, being uh, that first pro pro team I played on, and, and something that uh, I always remember. And, and you know, Clarky, I, I got to play with him and, and Wilkes Barre and play for him and, and Wheeling. So obviously a a really great guy, and, and what a character to play for, and guy you just want to play hard for, and you can run through a wall for. So. Um, top to bottom, everything was just a great experience. Um, they do it first class, and I, I actually ran into uh, you know a couple of the guys um, that I played for the last few years. So it's it's been funny to uh, you know relive the memories that we've had there. That's awesome. Any specific moments to stick out that you're particularly proud of? I do remember a hat trick that you had against the Fort Wayne Comets in the 16-17 season at home, including a late game winner. Yeah, that was, I, I do remember that. That was pretty unbelievable. <laughs> like, the way all those that happened, it happened so quick. I think it's happened within, you know, minutes or, or whatnot. I don't know what it was, but it was, it was pretty cool, and, and that was definitely something that sticks out. Again, I think you'll remember the, the kids' game, the morning game that we had, and I can't remember who we were playing, but we were down. you remember that one? We were down oh, yeah. a crazy amount of goals late in the game, and we had to come back, and I think Sterno had one or two goals. Um, and so I think that I remember. I don't know if you can refresh my memory. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Of course, the the school day comeback against Cincinnati in 2015-16. That was kind of a game that set the tone for the rest of the year on just how incredible that team was at coming back and not letting adversity phase them whatsoever. Yeah, that was uh, yeah, that was something that always sticks with me. And and uh, you know, too bad I couldn't make that Kelly Club run with with the guys. Um, you know, obviously some things uh, intervened with that, you know, when I was up in Wilkes-Barre, but uh, just a super special group, guys. I, I still keep in touch with to this day, um, and they all have, uh, you know, hold wheeling close to their hearts. I know they do. We, we talk about it all the time. and just, uh, just the great moments and memories, and, um, you know, it, uh, it was something that I'll, I'll hold, hold special uh, for the rest of my life. That's outstanding. Adam, I can't thank you enough for taking some time out of your day to chat with me and to let the Wheeling fans into your life more since you've left here and left the pro game and are having some great success in the college game. Take great care of your family too, your wife and your child, and continued success. I hope things continue to go in the right direction for you. You're doing a great job. Thank you. It was, uh, it was awesome, and maybe we'll have to do this again. Uh, another update uh, at some point. I uh, I always follow Wheeling how they're doing and everything. So I uh, hope you're doing well. Hope the city's doing well. And uh, maybe one day I'll come back and catch a game at the Banco Arena. 
Big thanks once again to former Nailers forward Adam Krause for spending a few minutes with us on this week's edition of the Toolbox. Taking a look back at what was certainly a very memorable year for him both on and off the ice and also looking even further back at some of his fondest memories in a wheeling uniform. Coming up on our next episode of the Toolbox, we will be talking to a brand new Kelly Cup champion. Will it be a Newfoundland Growler or will it be a Toledo Walleye? Stay tuned. We'll all find out together. Until then, talk to you next time on the Toolbox.